Welcome to Rebuilding. This podcast is designed to help the church rebuild its walls one person at a time. For more information, check us out at www.piercepoint.org. Thank you for joining us this morning at Pierce Point Community Church. I had this great joke planned this morning for, uh, you know, usually my pastor leaves when I'm preaching, but uh, he's here today, so I can't use that joke. <laughs> for those of you that don't know me, I am Sean Dick. I'm the worship director and a deacon in training here with, worship, with Pierce Point. Um, welcome to our celebration service. Again, if Mark said that this morning, if you're new here, there are welcome cards in the seat back in front of you. Please grab one of those and fill them out so we can get to know you. You can leave them at the uh, offering boxes by the exit door of the sanctuary. Um, let's bow our heads and pray this morning. Heavenly Father, Lord, I thank you for the opportunity to come together in your name. Lord, I ask that you open our hearts and allow your word to take root in our lives, Father God. Lord, I pray that you are with us this morning in a mighty way. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So for the, fa- the past few months, Nathan's been going over the ordinances of God in, in this, this psalm of David, Psalm 119. Um, topics like obedience, servanthood, obedience, where we should look in times of question, where we should be leaning in these uh, tough times. And did I mention obedience? So, just give me a second here. We know that that God's ordinances, God's word brings rest and restoration. We have seen time and time again that David's Prayer in 119 is a reminder of this restoration. David is constantly looking and leaning on the ordinances of God and leaning on God's word. He's leaning on the truth, and he knows the best place to find restoration is on that word. Rest is in the Bible. So this morning I want to go over another portion of Psalm 119 with you as we work backwards through this prayer of David's. As with any speaker, I want to I want to go over a couple topics this morning. We'll look at obedience and servanthood. I'd also like to speak with with you about how this applies in our lives today. I think you'll find that being a servant of God is a lot better than being a sheep to the world. So in verse Psalm 119, starting at verse 105, if you have your Bibles, your tablets, your scrolls, just say amen when you get there. Starting at 105. Your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. I have sworn and I will confirm it that I will keep your righteous ordinances. I am exceedingly afflicted. Revive me, O Lord, according to your word. O accept the freewill offerings of my mouth, O Lord, and teach me your ordinances. My life is continually in my hand, yet I do not forget your law. The wicked have laid a snare for me, yet I have not gone astray from your precepts. I have inherited your testimonies forever, for they are the joy of my heart. I have inclined my heart to perform your statutes forever, even until the end. In true Pierce Point style, it's my plan to go verse by verse, 
step by step and see if we can glean any new insight or any new observation. So verse 105 seems simple to start. Your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. God's word is there to guide my feet. That's easy enough. After all, Proverbs 3.6 says, In all your ways acknowledge him, and he will make your path straight. This is simple on the surface, but the water is deep here. In a, in a commentary, David's Treasury, the author writes this, 105, the word of the Lord, like a flaming torch, reveals my way. Having no fixed lamps in eastern towns, in the time of old, each traveler carried a lantern with him that he might not fall into the open sewer or stumble over the heaps of verdure which defile the road. This is a true picture of our path through this dark world. Would we not know the way or how to walk in it if Scripture, like a blazing flame, did not reveal it? Undoubtedly, you see the anger and the hatred of this world spilling out into our own neighborhoods. Our own communities are at war with each other. People on all sides are shouting vitriolic truths and, and statements of absolutes. But no one is really listening to each other. As a Christian bystander, I admit I have been remiss on what to do or even what to say. Slow to speak and quick to hear. This is, this is fine, but eventually I'm going to have to answer. Eventually I'm going to have to speak. I will be levied for an answer, eventually. As a Christian, I'm called to stand against sin. You can't stand against sin in silence. So like David, I want to know where God would have me go. What would he have me say? Where should I look for these answers? Should I drop the, drop the gavel and just make a harsh judgment? Or is there something more? Well, it's right here in front of us. It's, it's in the Bible. Amen? We've already learned a few weeks ago that David keeps going back to how the word of God is restorative. Look ahead to verse 130. The unfolding of your words gives light. It gives understanding to the simple. That paints, paints a clear picture to me. If I'm here to answer anything, I should be looking for the path that keeps me from falling into the open sewer. Proverbs 15.4 says, A soothing tongue, tongue is a tree of life but perversion in it crushes the spirit. Tenderness should not be mistaken for weakness. Moving on to verse 106. I have sworn, and I will confirm it, that I will keep your righteous ordinances. Matthew Henry says this in comparison, I have lifted my head unto the Lord, and I cannot go back. Therefore, I must go forward. Once you are with the Lord, you can only go forward. I thought that a powerful observation of this scripture. Now, as the worship director, I'm always cautioning our worship leaders to be careful about the songs they choose. We need to be conscious of the things that we're singing as a promise to God. We cannot say over and over that I will love you and I will worship you and I'll do everything forever when it's not really in our hearts. In the same vein of thought, songs that declare the things I'm going to do tend to make me a bit squeamish especially if the things I'm going to do are derived from my own power. I don't think David's just throwing around an open, lighthearted vow. Nor does he keep God's ordinances very lightly. 
I want to read a piece of Calvin's commentary to focus in on what I'm trying to communicate. The man then, it may be alleged, vows rashly, who promises to God a thing which is beyond his power to accomplish. The answer is obvious. Whenever the faithful vow to him, they do not look to what they are able to do of themselves, but they depend on, upon the grace of God, whom it belongs to, perform what he requires of them. In the way of supplying them with strength by his Holy Spirit, when the question is in reference to service to be rendered to God, they cannot vow anything without the Holy Spirit. For as Paul says in 2 Corinthians 3.5, not that we are adequate in ourselves to consider anything as coming from ourselves, but our adequacy is from God. David is well versed in the weight of which a vow comes. A king that can't stand by his word is not much worth to anyone. So, Jake shared a few weeks ago that the righteousness and the keeping of God's commandments are something that you must do. And there it comes, peace and obedience. When you become concerned for God's word, you start realizing that idle words will be our undoing. Let your yes be yes, let your no be no. I'm the kind of guy that if I tell you something in passing, it'll drive me insane until I actually get that promise to you. I still owe Nathan a lawnmower, and I said it two years ago, and he doesn't even need a mower. But it drives me. (laughs) It drives me insane. (laughs) David knows intimately that if he goes back on his word, God's judgment is there. Right and just, his judgment will remain. But when he makes his vow, he knows that whatever God requires of him, God will supply the strength to do. This was a huge weight off my shoulders, actually this morning, just kind of standing, worshiping and praying and thought, I don't have to do this. This is, this is God's work. He's supplying the strength to do this. So with that said, the next verse makes a little more sense to me. So look at verse 107. I am exceedingly afflicted. Revive me, O Lord, according to your word. Mark, your scripture this morning was the nail on the head. It is postured that David is afflicted in his spirit. But if you continue to read, which we will, we see that someone is trying to trip him up. And trust me, when someone tries to defraud you, it's very frustrating. But look to where he goes. Again, he knows God will act on his promises. Not only is there judgment in God's word, but there is mercy. He makes a way for us to get through. I've shared before in a devotional piece that mercy and justice cannot be divorced. God is both righteous and merciful. Psalm 85.10 says, Loving kindness and truth have met together. Righteousness and peace have kissed one another. In God, there is one where these attributes are welded together. So when David says, revive me according to your word, he knows that God has a plan and God will revive him. That's where I see obedience again. You only gain that knowledge if you're going to put in the work. If you're going to read scripture, you're going to gain the knowledge. Well, how does that have anything to do with obedience? What role does obedience have of faith in our lives? I want you to skip forward to the New Testament for just a minute. Turn to Romans 6 and 16. I'll give you guys with the scrolls a little more time. Say amen when you get there. 
Romans 6.16. Do you not know that if you present yourselves to anyone as obedient slaves, you are slaves of the one whom you obey, either of sin, which leads to death, or of disobedience, which leads to righteousness, or I'm sorry, or of obedience, which leads to righteousness. Paul says submitting to sin brings death. Submitting to obedience brings righteousness. Two weeks back where we read David say, I have done righteousness. He understands that it takes obedience to do that. This is why obedience is not a bad thing. It's not a four-letter word. Obedience leads yet again to restoration. So jump back to Psalm 119. We're going to move to verse 108. I'm sorry I don't have slides this morning. I, I uh, assumed Nathan wasn't going to be here, so we didn't try to fight with pro presenter. I really don't like that program. <laughs> so back to Psalm 119, verse 108. Oh, accept the freewill offering of my mouth, O Lord, and teach me your ordinances. Another commentary from David's treasury. God's revenues are not derived from forced taxation, but from free will donation. I'm going to read that again. God's revenues are not derived from forced taxation, but from free will donation. A few years ago, Natalie and I were kind of going through a class together in uh, Christian worldviews. And in this class, one of the questions that we were all wrestling with was the question of free will. So my eight-year-old looks at me, and, and at the time, she says, well, Daddy, why doesn't God just make us mind him? And a gulp, because that's one of those questions where, you know, study, show that self-approved really hit me in the face. And uh, I gave it a minute, and I said, well, Natalie, let me see if I can answer your question with another question. That's what good teachers do, right? If God forced us to love him, how could that love ever be genuine? God wants our genuine, honest love. He doesn't need me, but he wants that relationship with me. She answered, okay, makes sense. I think I got extra credit as a dad that day. It was... Goodness. David is beseeching the Lord and stating the obvious here. Please accept my offering. Please accept the offering of my heart. I love you. Teach me your ways. Teach me your ways so I can know you more, so I can love you more. Next verse, 109. My life is continually in my hand, yet I do not forget your law. This verse stood out to me as I was studying here. This is one of those verses that kind of hits me sideways at first, and, and I, I may even posture the, the wrong idea of what's being said. It, the question I had in my heart was, is he trying to say that I'm a fool? Am I, am I taking risks? What's going on here? Where have I seen this before? So I go back to 1 Samuel 19.5. Jonathan is speaking to Saul on, on behalf of David, and he says he took his life in his hand, and he struck the Philistine, talking about Goliath. And the Lord brought about a great deliverance for all Israel. You saw it and rejoiced. Why then will you sin against innocent blood by putting David to death without cause? So to put this into perspective, have you ever tried to carry sand in your hands? Or how about a 
really full hot cup of coffee through the living room without spilling it. What David is describing is how easily it is for something to be wiped away from our hands. But what he's not saying is I'm foolish and I make bad choices. He took his life in his hands when he stood up to Goliath. People are constantly setting snares for him to try to kill him. At the outset, he says, I am continually in danger, yet I still obey. He has a deep affection for God's word, and no amount of danger is going to stop him from accomplishing God's will. Paul echoes this in his life as well. Nothing will stop him from spreading the gospel of Jesus. Jesus walks into the garden knowing that his last day is upon him. Nothing will get in the way of your will, God. And I have to ask, do I have that kind of faith? Do you? I'm deeply challenged by this verse because though I am ignorant, sometimes reckless, well, most of the times reckless, I don't practice unabandoned faith to God. Not as well as David. And I'm nowhere near Jesus. <laughs> the lion's den, Daniel? Not me. I mean, I might play the drums on Sunday or stand up here and sing, but I'm not going to do more than my 30 minutes. Forget it. I got things to do. But do I? Do I have more important things to do? It's challenging indeed. Jesus, Paul, David, Daniel, Nehemiah, Esther, on and on, the men and women of the Bible show us it is worth everything to dive deep. It takes a lifetime to understand, and even then, we're only scratching the surface, guys. Instead, I should be saying, I don't have time for the world. I need to see what God is doing. How is he going to use me in this situation? Where should I be looking in his word for this? This is, what, this is how we should approach our lives. Instead, I have it backwards. How can God serve me? Uh, can, he, can he give me anything today? No. No, I'm constantly in danger, yet it won't stop me from obeying God. Father, I love you. Teach me your ways. It brings to mind the psalm, I will lift my eyes to the mountain. From where shall my help come? My help comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth. He will not allow your foot to slip. He who keeps you will not slumber. Amen. Amen. Verse 110. The wicked have laid a snare for me, yet I have not gone astray from your precepts. We're starting to see a pattern. Earlier I said we would read about David's affliction. I believe this gives good insight to what he was talking about. And even the previous verse, I am constantly in danger. Here he shows that he's aware of the danger to his life, and he has enemies that want him to fail. What better way to stop someone than to defraud their testimony? I mean, how effective is it when you witness the love of Jesus and then turn around and cuss the cashier for messing up your order at Taco Bell? Just asking for a friend. Now we see in his prayer, he begins to repeat that. Though there are distractions like other people, he is steadfast in keeping God's word. In verse 115, he says, Depart from me, O evildoers, that I may observe the commandments of my God. Basically saying, leave me alone. I have things to do that are kingdom value, eternal value. 
I've heard Marty ask, all of us, myself included, are you doing what God would have you do? Is there eternal value in what you're doing? David is expressing that people who are trying to trip him up are simply keeping him from the eternal value task in life. When we started out in our marriage, Amanda and I had friends that were in the same boat. You know, we, we, we all worked hard, we, we partied hard, and none of us were worried about God's commandments. We had things, we had toys, we had lots of friends, parties all the time. But then when those things started to fade away, trouble came, finances started to hurt, the things went away, the parties went away, all of a sudden our friends went away too. So our lives were full of things to do and stuff. We had tons of friends, but when they got tough, the friends and the things to do went away. None of it had any lasting value. We weren't even happy with each other. Once it sank in that there is purpose in God's plan, and we had eternal things to work towards, joy and love, It filled my family. It filled my children. We found friends that we could lean on in tough times. <clears throat> Bear one another's burdens is one of my favorite precepts of God. <clears throat> I'm eternally grateful. I see here this is why David clings to God's word so deeply. So move to verse 111. <clears throat> I have inherited your testimonies forever, for they are the joy of my heart. Funny to me how I was writing this out and ended the last thought with how joy had returned to our marriage. It's like God was actually speaking through the scriptures. It's amazing. Do you know that what we can do with this verse, it's, it's the first time that I feel like I could ever relate to David in a real way. What do you mean? How is that? If you turn to 1 Peter chapter 1, and I'll give you a minute because I want you guys to read this. 1 Peter chapter 1. Starting at verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to his great mercy has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Pay close attention here to verse 4. To obtain an inheritance which is imperishable and undefiled and will not fade away, reserved for you in heaven. Who are, you, who, who are protected by the power of God through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. If that doesn't bring joy to your heart, I don't know what will. David has received the promises of God. And in our faith, receiving Jesus Christ, we have received a promise as well. I mean, re read the next verse. In this you greatly rejoice, even though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been distressed by various trials. I can completely understand what David is talking about. 
I have inherited forever. And that is the joy in my heart. Okay, so last verse, and I'll be getting to my closing statements. Verse 112. I have inclined my heart to perform your statutes forever, even to the end. Remember, his vows are not idle words. I have lifted my eyes to the Lord, and I can only go forward. Constantly, David says, I love you, teach me. I love you, keep me. I love you because of your word. I love you, so I will obey you. I love you because I find joy in you, peace, restoration, strength, protection. Who are you looking for, or who are you looking to for your answers? Especially in this time of chaos. Are you looking to your leaders? Are they following the precepts of God? Because if they are, they're going to advise you to do the same thing. Are you searching scripture until your eyes fail? Are you looking through the word of God until you fall asleep? I need to work at it. So how do, we, how do we look at this part of Psalm 119 in our lives today? Where is there a biblical echo that might make sense or give us some kind of confirmation? Turn to John 14, 21. And I, I've actually stumbled on this scripture by accident, and I love it. John 14, 21. Jesus says, He who has my commandments and keeps them is the one who loves me. And he who loves me will be loved by my Father. And I will love him and will disclose myself to him. Obedience is the key to all of this. We hear the word and we keep its precepts, just like David did. And Jesus gives us the promise. And if we do this, we receive a love that only God can give. So fathers, love your families. Take time to share with your kids. Take time to share the beauty of the church. Our church doesn't grow without our children, amen? Show them what a good father is. Discipline, loving, leading. It's all found in scripture. Keep digging into the word to learn the precepts that he has for you. Mothers, help your children understand God's precepts. Show them what biblical submission looks like. Help them see the beauty in the church, the same message. Our church doesn't grow without our children. Husbands, guys, pick up a dish rag. Do some dishes. It's not going to hurt you. Love your wife as Christ loves the church. All the way to laying down your life for her. That's a tall order. Wives, submit to your husbands. The toughest thing to do is to let him lead. I get it. But I can guarantee you it's harder for him to lead without you helping him. Help him to lead. Help him to be a, a good husband. Teach him if he needs taught. Kids, honor your father and your mother. How do you do that, kids? You guys know? 
Listen and obey. Right away. <laughs> In keeping God's commandments, we find peace, we find restoration, we find love, we find comfort, joy, and we find family. So this morning when we take communion together, I want our minds and our hearts to be concentrating on what God wants to teach us. Open our hearts, pour into our lives. What will does he have for each of us? So if, if the worship team could join me. While they're getting ready, we're going to pass out communion elements to everyone. And uh, while they're doing that, the worship team is going to play a song, and then we'll go through the verses for communion. Father God, I thank you again, Lord, for this opportunity to come before you. Lord, I pray that you bless this time, Father, and, and use it, Lord, for your will. I thank you, Lord, for, the, for each and every heart that's, that showed up here today and, and those watching from home. Father, I ask that you meet them in their needs and help them to find in the scriptures what you would have of them. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Amen. Thanks so much for listening to Rebuilding from Pierce Point Community Church. We hope that today's podcast will help you become a more connected part of Christ's body. Remember to check out our website at piercepoint.org for more information.